0: Hey, uh, listen, uh, we have been in a very, very exciting series, exciting for me anyway, uh, because it's been over one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've never preached a series from this book before, but uh, uh, we're finishing today a series on Proverbs, which I've called God's Twitter feed, because if you look at Proverbs, long before there was Twitter, God was sending out these little messages, little soundbite messages filled with wisdom, and we've been looking at those for the last several weeks. We're going to do that again. Uh, But before we do that, uh, can anyone just say, hey, for those uh, Chicago Cubs that are finally going to the World Series, huh? first time since 1945. Anyone excited with me this morning? Yeah. Thank you for that warm round of apathy this morning. Um, But uh, I was actually thinking about that... uh, The Heisers would know this, you know, when when I was in Illinois, you would think they'd all be Cub fans, but I pastored in southern Illinois, which predominantly there, they are Cardinal fans, because it's, yeah, including them. Uh, Sorry about that. But anyway, I put up with that for 20 years, you know, of the Cubs losing to the Cardinals uh, the whole time that I was there, pretty much. Uh, But anyway, and more than the 20 years, it's been since 1945, since they've actually been to the World Series. And it's been since 1908 since they won the World Series. So last night was, was more than just a, a normal ball game. There were generations of people. You could see grandmothers with, with their children and grandchildren crying because it represented so much more than just winning a ball game and going to the World Series. It represented <coughs> generations of hope and, and really what uh, some people have called a culture of losing uh, that the Cubs <coughs> had. In fact... Four years ago, the Cubs lost a hundred ball games. That's hard to do. Uh, there's a hundred and sixty game series uh, season, and the Cubs lost over a hundred games. And so, in four years, they've completely turned that around, where this year they were the best team in baseball and won over a hundred games And I was watching the announcers last night, and they were saying that it' sometimes takes a hundred years to change a culture but that the Cubs have seemed to have changed this culture. Sort of, and the culture that the Cubs are, were sort of known as is, was the lovable losers. The lovable losers. And they had to get that sort of behind them and out of their system. And in four years, they've done that. And I thought about what we're trying to do here in Knoxville and really at Life Church, and that is to create a culture because the truth about Knoxville is that Knoxville is not unchurched. If you are if you drive down the streets of Knoxville, you can find a church on almost every corner in Knoxville. We are what was at least one time considered the Bible Belt. But the truth of it is the culture of the church became such that we've really lost a generation of people from the church who have Become disillusioned. Some people say uh, they've become over churched or, or that the church was, uh, was uh, sending out messages of everything that you can't do and everything that was wrong rather than being the life giving force that the church was supposed to do. So we are trying to create a culture of winning at Life Church. That, that being a Christian is not about going around. In doom and gloom and worrying about just the fact that God's not going to be mad at you today, but how we believe that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might live it to the full. And uh, I'm glad to be a part of that church, and that's the kind of create uh, culture that we're trying to create at Life Church. And so that's actually a good segue for me to talk about the new series that we're going to begin next Sunday, uh, which uh, I'm borrowing the title from someone else, but actually the material is all original. Uh, it's not, although nothing is original, there's nothing new under the sun. But the uh, title of the series is going to be Fresh Air. And the reason I'm calling it Fresh Air is because if you've been at all aware of what's going on in our culture right now, there is a sense of stagnation in the air, there's a sense of heaviness in the air, there's a sense of racial divisiveness in the air. Uh, there's a sense in the political environment and the air of people. I don't know about you all, but I don't even like watching the news anymore. It's hard for me to turn on the news because I'm just confronted with negative air and with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with, with a, a culture that's, uh, that, 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 that is not life-giving. So we're going to be talking for the next four weeks. Believe it or not, we've got four-week series, and then we're into the Christmas series, believe it or not. But, uh, but we're going to be talking uh, for the next four weeks about creating this culture and about the culture of the church. And... Uh... Uh, One of the messages I'm going to bring is called living large in Babylon. In other words, that in the Old Testament there was the Babylonian captivity and and God said to his people, I don't care if you're in captivity, I don't care if the culture is going a certain way, you can live large right when you're in the middle of it. And so we're going to be talking about that and I'm real excited about that and you won't want to miss that. And I want to be a part of that kind of movement and that kind of church in these days. So we're going to finish now our Proverbs uh, series. And I couldn't really do a series on Proverbs without dealing with this passage of Scripture. Uh, and the, I'm titling this message, In God We Trust. And I believe there's a place to take notes in your bulletin, although I think this week I accidentally filled them in for you. So you actually kind of have a cheat sheet. Uh, but if you want to actually take, take some extra notes, you can alongside. And uh, But before I do that, I also want to recognize somebody who's been away from us a long time, driving truck and doing all kinds of other stuff. But my friend and yours, Rick Elbell, is in the house today. And I want to say, really good to have you today, man. He's getting ready for his Santa Claus uh, gig this Christmas. You look great, Rick. You look great. Okay, um, the scripture that we're going to deal with in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. I learned that in the King James years ago. I learned it like this. Some of you can quote it with me. If you know it, quote it with me. It's it's, it's on a lot of people's walls at their house. Maybe one of the most famous scriptures in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Very, very important scripture. In this series on Proverbs, we talked. We started out by talking about the fear of the Lord, and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and what that means. Then we did a message called Well-Worn Trails and White Crosses, where we talked about having fences in our lives, to not to say how close can we get to sin and still be a Christian but what are those fences in my life that will keep me safe on the path and so we talked about uh, having well-worn trails and staying away from the edges and trying to get close to Jesus then we talked about another major um, issue in the book of Proverbs which is pride and we called it the deadliest sin and we talked about humility being the greatest virtue the greatest virtue and the deadliest sin and then we talked about the two women of Proverbs. The, the Proverbs describes wisdom as a woman. He calls her wisdom. And then he has another woman called folly, so wisdom and folly. But I renamed folly in a word that we could relate to more, and I called it wisdom and wild thing. We had a, we had a, uh, a sermon about wisdom and wild thing, and we uh, talked about uh, the importance of following wisdom versus going the path of folly. But this last subject that I'm going to deal with is going to allow me to address a few major subjects in the book of Proverbs that we hadn't gotten to yet, and we can do so under this umbrella of trusting God. And so I'm going to talk about trusting God in, different, in, in three different areas of our lives, And the first that I want us to talk about, because it's a major issue in the Bible and it's a major issue in Proverbs, is trusting God with your family. How many know that family is a big deal? It's a big deal. I think that there's a lot of people today that are having kids for the same reason they buy puppies. Because they think they're cute. Ah! I want to have another one because they're cute and I, and I just love babies and all of that. And, that's, and it's wonderful to love babies and it's wonderful uh, for all of those things. But that's not really the biblical reason for having kids. Another proverb says children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. The scripture indicates that our children were, were, were meant to be weapons of mass destruction against the enemy. That God would give us children that would go into the enemy's camps and that, that we could raise those children that would make a difference for God. And, 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 and so we're going to talk about trusting God with our families. And so since we're using this, this idea of, of Twitter... Uh, I'm I'm coming up with some hashtags that go along with trusting God with your family. And so this is for the men. Hashtag choose your woman wisely. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 31 is, is all about finding a wife of noble character. And it ends with these words in 31.30. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be great. We have superficial ways of, of picking women today, rating them with with with, with certain numbers. You know, there are there there are three, there are five, there are ten, there are this. Melanie is not with us this morning. She's with uh, she's with uh, my daughters. Uh, Natalie had an event in Branson where she was invited back to her former college to speak to the business. Uh, school and and tell them about all that she's doing in business. And so that's, Melanie went to celebrate uh, with her. So while she's gone, and by the way, tomorrow is her birthday, I want to say about my wife that she shines in my heart more than the first day that I saw her. That Melanie has become more valuable to me, more beautiful to me, more precious to me as the days have gone on, more than the day that I married her, more than on our 10th anniversary, more than on our 20th anniversary, and next year we're celebrating our 30th anniversary, I came to tell you this morning that God's desire is that in our marriages, it's not like the second law of thermodynamics that starts out with order and ends in disorder, that things tend to get worse and worse, but in, but in God's kingdom, it's meant to get better and better, Amen. And so that as we, that as we choose people, why do we choose the woman that we choose? Can I just say that women of integrity are beautiful women? Nothing is sexier than a girl who reads her Bible. Amen. Amen. There's something about a a woman who's totally... I remember when Melanie captured my attention, she was on the stage at a church and she was doing ventriloquism and she was ministering and I could tell as a young lady, she was all in for Jesus and I liked that. Can I just tell you guys, don't go for what the world's going for because what the Bible says is that beauty is fleeting. If you just go for looks, beauty is fleeting. Charm, if you go for the one that charms you. Charm is deceptive. They, they, they can't produce what they're trying to sell there. Oh, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Find a godly woman. Um, and, and, and it's one of the keys uh, to life. So, so all you single guys out there, choose your woman wisely. And then, and then the, the next hashtag, this is for the ladies, a good man is a godly man. I learned this passage, Proverbs 37, 23, in the King James, which said, The steps of a good man are ordered of God. I, I made a, actually a song about it years ago. I kind of did step. Remember that one? Stepping was kind of a big deal. The steps of a good man are ordered of God. Mm. The steps of a good man are ordered of God. Yeah, the steps. Of a good man are ordered of God. A good man's steps are ordered of God. Uh huh huh. Okay, you get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. You kind of got a step when you do that. But 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 a good uh, a good man is a is a godly man. If you want to find a man who's going somewhere in life, find yourself a godly man. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Find a guy that will open the door for you and God will open the door for that guy. Find find a guy that's got that much integrity about him. Find a man, ladies, find a man, ladies, who's not afraid to lift his hands in church. Did you know the Bible says, sometimes we think, oh, that's so crazy. We do this praise and worship, and the pastor, you know, they're up there raising their hands and stuff. And guys, a lot of guys, you can tell, guys are sometimes too cool. They're like, you know, they just can't get them up past here, you know. But did you know that the Scripture says this? In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God Free from anger and controversy. If you can find a man who's not afraid to lift his hands to God, that's a godly man. It's a good man. And his steps are ordered of God. Church, you don't need to get online. You don't need to go to, you need to come to church to find yourself. Look for that guy who's got his hands in the air, raising him like he just don't care. Amen. That's a good man. In the kingdom of God, we need life-giving men. We need to raise our families, mom and dads, in a way that that, that bring life to our families. When when I was a kid, my, my parents, my parents protected me from a lot of the stress that we were going under as a family when i was a kid my dad had kidney disease and they didn't know if he was going to live i didn't know that but they didn't know if he was i remember him passing out in the house i remember him preaching sitting down kidney transplants were brand new i found out all this stuff later in my life but my mom would go door-to-door selling world book encyclopedias And uh, she would stand, I remember that she would stand in front of the full-length mirror at our house before she started each day, and she'd say, I feel happy, I feel healthy, I feel terrific. She'd say that, I feel happy, I feel, and she was saying it to herself. She was looking at her eyes, and she was saying, Self, you are not a victim to your circumstances. I belong to Jesus. Things are not like they seem in the circumstances around me. I've got something to live for. And she would say that. And that woman went out and sold encyclopedias, won trips to Portugal, all different parts of the earth, and just did a great job. I found out later in life that we were on food stamps during that time just because we didn't have enough money to make ends meet. My dad was a church planter, and mom was selling encyclopedias but they raised us with, with that sense, that life-giving sense that, 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 that because God was in our lives, everything was going to be all right. It's, it's so important as leaders of our families that we lead ourselves in a life-giving way. I, I, uh, part of the way that I came up with this sermon series is I went over, and, and I've never preached on Proverbs before, but I had written some blogs on Proverbs. And I went back and I looked at some of the blogs that I'd written on Proverbs, and here's one I wrote on August 16th. 2011. And I called it the power of a leader's smile, a life giving leader. As you lead your families, leading your, leading your families in a positive way. And Proverbs 16, 15 says this, when a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in spring. The scripture was saying, when the king is healthy, the kingdom is healthy. When the king, uh, uh, when his face brightens, the whole kingdom does well. The same is true, parents, in your family, that if, if you guys have a bright countenance, it will affect the way that you raise your families. In ancient literature, this is the blog I wrote, when a king was emotionally and spiritually healthy, the kingdom flourished. When the king was emotionally unhealthy, evil, or foolish, the kingdom suffered. <coughs> the demeanor of a leader is paramount. Negative leaders do great damage to the organizations they lead, whereas leaders who have a bright demeanor dispense life to their followers. One of my favorite movies is The Lion King because of its leadership lessons. When Mufasa, how many remember this movie? When Mufasa, the good king, reigns, the kingdom enjoys rain, lush vegetation, his subjects are healthy. Mufasa, though, has an evil brother named Scar uh, who plots the death of Mufasa and makes it appear that Mufasa's son, Simba, was the one who uh, who has killed his father. Scar became king and the rain stopped and the lions made unholy alliances with the hyenas. There's a whole other sermon there. Don't make unholy alliances with hyenas. Watch who you make your alliances with. Simba was forced to run away from the kingdom, forfeiting his rightful leadership role in the kingdom. He decided to live a life of hakuna matata. Remember that? Meaning no worries. While he's off living the good life, however, the people he loves are suffering. One evening he looks in the pond and sees the reflection of his father telling him, Remember who you are. Remember that? Here's the voice of Mufasa. The kingdom needed Simba's goodness and brightness of spirit. Simba returned and there was an epic battle with Scar and Simba prevailed. At the end of the movie, Simba became king and the sun came out and the vegetation returned and all that was right with the world returned. Leaders play a vital role in setting a positive tone in the places they lead. That's why it's imperative that a culture of positivity is embodied by every leader in an organization. Negative leaders will bring death to their organizations. I'm not suggesting a fake plastic smile in order to falsely pump up those you lead. The point of this proverbs for leaders is to do whatever is necessary to be healthy. If you need to surround yourself with positive people, do so. If you need to get counseling to work through issues in your life, do so. Find a good counselor. Whatever it takes, get healthy and do it. Those you lead are counting on it. As the king goes, so goes the kingdom. Healthy leaders make healthy followers. Parents, we need to be healthy as we lead our kids. And lead them in life-giving ways. All right, so this is enough about mom and dads. Uh, the next hashtag, raise your children in the ways of the Lord. Proverbs 22.6 says start children off in the way they should go and even when they are old they will not return, not turn from it. One of the most painful lessons of parenting is we don't get to do the whole thing, we just get to start them. My, my mom used to say it this way, give them roots and then give them wings. You give them roots, you put the values in, you start them off and then you give them wings. And parents, don't just tell your children to go to church. Take them to church. You will teach them more, not just by what you tell them to do, but, 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 what, but what you do. James Dobson says, says people learn from what is caught, not what is taught. They're catching things by watching you. And you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Listen to when you're supposed to talk to them when you're home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. That pretty much covers it. In all of life keep talking to your children about the ways of the Lord. And then children, this one's for you. Hashtag and all the parents said amen. Respect your parents. Amen. That's right. Proverbs 23, says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Children, one of the keys to a long and prosperous life is to honor your father and mother. I'm 52 years old, and not many days go by without me talking to my parents. I still listen to them, I still get my advice from them, and I still seek their uh, advice and honor them. It's important that we honor our parents. We're living in a culture that is a dishonoring culture. If we're going to be a different church, we're going to have to learn to honor our parents. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. And it all, it all has to work together. Sometimes, sometimes parents are, no, are, are, are out of the picture, and I know that and all that, but you've got to find some godly leaders, some godly people that you look up to, that you are honoring and looking to and respecting and going to. So trust God with your families. The next thing that we really haven't dealt with in Proverbs, and you can't really deal with Proverbs without dealing with it, and that is finances. Trust God with your finances. The first one is hashtag you can't outgive God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, Proverbs says, and with the best part of everything you produce. And here's why it says to do it. So that the church can build a new parking lot so that we can have bigger buildings, so that we can pay the staff. It doesn't say any of that, does it? It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Why does it say to do that? He says, then he will fill your barns and grain, and your vats will overflow with good, with good wine. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. In other words, one of the best financial decisions that you can make, and I know this is counterintuitive, and if you don't believe in God, you won't get this, but if you put God first, and if you give to the Lord, He'll take care of you. And so that's why we we practice tithing at the church, not just so that the church can flourish and all those things can happen. But when we tithe, what we're saying to God is not only does 10% belong to you, but the big issue of tithing is not even the percentage, it's the fact that it's first. What we're saying to God is, You're first in my life. I'm giving you the first. When, when they used to bring cattle rather than, than cash, and, and, and the idea was the first, the fairest, the fattest, the finest. You, you always gave God your best. You, you gave him the first, you gave him the fairest, the fattest, and the finest. And if you gave 10%, what God said is, I'll bless the rest. That's good preaching, anyhow. All right, so anyway, you can't outgive God. The second thing the Proverbs teaches us about finances is this hashtag save for the future. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. You can't spend everything that you make and expect to do well in life because you're going to have rainy days when you're going to need more money than you're making on that particular week. And so it's very important that we save for the future. I spoke to my wise daughter, Christiana, the other day. And this girl is crazy when it comes to finances. Crazy good with it. She she works for the Walmart Corporation, and, she, and uh, I was at, she was asking me some financial advice about uh, purchasing a car and all that. We were talking about that, and she, I, see, I said, "Well, what are you doing now?" She said, "Well, Dad, when I get Walmart puts puts my check into three different accounts. They put one uh, that I don't touch into my emergency fund. I'm just saving up uh, for an emergency. Anything that happens, and I'm saving up." even eventually for a down payment on my house. I'm saving up for this, and I'm saving up for that. And she said, then Walmart puts another, uh, they, they do another account just for paying my bills, just for paying my bills. And then they do another account that's for my discretionary. So she's got Walmart directing three different ways. And I'm like, well, you could just do that, you know, in one, and you just ledger it. She said, no, 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 Dad. I want to do it in three separate accounts. So I never attempted to touch it and do all that. Uh, that's, so, that's so smart. She's saving for the future and, and just being ready Um, uh, for a rainy day the next thing that Proverbs says to us about finances is don't be a slave to debt just as the rich rule the poor so the borrower is servant to the lender when you go in debt you give up some of your freedom that you become a slave to the one that you are indebted to I work in an industry where I see a lot of people who make a lot of money get turned down on credit because they are slaves debt. Hey, I'll go one step further. The Bible even says we need to be very careful about co-signing. Did you know that, that, that the vast majority of people who co-sign ended up end up paying part of that debt? And Proverbs said something to us about that years ago in Proverbs seventeen eighteen, It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for a friend. The next financial pr- principle is to budget, hashtag budget. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense and through knowledge its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and v- and, and valuables. So a house is built by wisdom and by earmarking where every dollar goes and knowing, um, uh, having a name uh, for every uh, dollar that you get and how you're going to spend that. And then the last thing on this section is work hard. Uh, Proverbs 14.23 says, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. And then it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent man, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful man. Proverbs teaches us to be hard workers. That's one of the keys if you are going to trust God with your finances. And the last thing that I want to share today is this, as we're preparing for baptisms. Those of you who are going to get baptized, if you need to do any preparing, you can do that at this time. And that is this, trust God with your future. Trust Him with your family, trust Him with your finances, but finally, trust Him with your future. Trust means an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. These people that are getting baptized are making an important statement today. They are saying, I trust God with my life more than I trust myself. The hashtag on this one is stop trying and start trusting. Stop trying and start trusting. Proverbs 19, 21. One of the things, and you notice I've saved almost nothing about the whole campaign a season that we're in. That's just not because it's this campaign. It's because I'm I'm working for another king and another kingdom. But I will say this about the campaign. is It seems like the goal of the campaigns is to get us to distrust the other more than they... It's really not about trust me, but it's distrust the other one, distrust the other one. Can I just say that There's someone that's worth trusting. That's worth putting your faith in and your confidence in. And that is God this morning. that if you'll put your trust in God, it used to be on our, it still is on our money, but unfortunately it's on our money and I think out of our hearts. In God we trust. And and, and I found this Psalm 118.8, which is really a proverb, says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. People will disappoint you. Presidents will disappoint you. Families, sometimes in our families, will disappoint one another. But I want to point you today to someone who will never, never disappoint you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's always got your back. He loves you unconditionally. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you may have committed, there's nothing that puts you out of the love of God. He's for you. He's got a plan for your life. He believes in you. And He's worth putting your trust in this morning. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I've proved you o'er and o'er. Thank you, Lord. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How many today can say that you found Him to be trustworthy? That when everything else falls in this world, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths.